Welcome back to another episode of the Exterminatus Podcast, all things competitive in the world of Warhammer 40,000. My name's Eric, with me is my co-host Robert. Hello. And we are back, so yeah, we had a little bit of a holiday, uh, July 4th, but uh, even though it's not a holiday in England, there are plenty of fireworks from Games Workshop on July 4th, and celebrating all week long with new releases, a few new FAQs, a few uh, rumors through unsolicited sources, as well as a lot of excitement over in England at the Bournemouth Bash. So we have a lot to talk about this week. Let's get started with the uh, FAQs that dropped uh, last Monday. Robert, big surprises there. Well, it was because I'm pretty sure we've all run into the situation of, oh, there's a really important character on the other side of that wall. I have a 32 millimeter base. Um, while you're outside of an inch, your base is still too big to fit. God dang it. So the biggest FAQ that came out was this the really interesting thing about fighting with an extra inch through obscuring terrain. The ruling was a little confusing and it kind of created a lot more stir of what's going on. And But uh, from a terrain building standpoint, I'm, I'm excited because that was always an issue. It was like I could do a lot more with this piece of terrain, but I can't get the wall to be that much thicker. And if I go any thinner, it will lose structural integrity and be just be destroyed by the end of the tournament. But a um, little bit interesting that it's specifically obscuring terrain as opposed to all area terrain. Yeah. So with, I, I guess for most area terrain that exists, so like ruined walls and whatnot, um, because of the fact that it's not a super large building and a lot of terrain that people tend to abuse rules for is usually attached to obscuring rules. I guess it makes sense that they actually make most of those pieces of terrain interactable again. Cause I know for instance, my, my custodes having big 40 millimeter bases, if I'm outside of an inch of the wall of the building, I need to basically use two inches of movement to get through the wall because my base is so large because I can't end halfway through the wall. So now that I can be two inches away, as long as my base with the shortest path traveled goes through the pieces of obscuring terrain, which means bases have to be pretty tight, snug fit for the terrain. So that way it's not a, cheese ball of there's six inches of obscuring back here i can blah um but my custodes get a big advantage because i can fight deeper um stuff like knights can now actually go yeah you have to stand exactly in the middle of the building to not be able for me to reach in and grab you through the windows yeah that was always i think that wasn't that a rule in the previous edition where the there's a piece of war gear that allowed them to reach upper floors or something ridiculous like that because the way the rules were written, you could only attack the bottom floor. Yeah, it was something like that where they, okay, you're on the bottom floor and then like with a Thunderstrike gauntlet, you could like reach up and like punch people on top floor or something like that. It was a really specific thing. But then again, that was 8th edition and that was a very different addition for how terrain worked because for everyone that played in the ITC, it was okay. You make windows on the top floor and you don't put any windows on the bottom and bada bing, bada boo. You instantly have ITC functional terrain, right? Yeah. Your other army also got a little tagged by the FAQ as well. 
Yeah, my freebooters are long dead. No, gone are the days of snowballing plus ones to hit into. I never have to worry about negatives to hit. To oh, I now reroll ones. Yeah, that's a pretty big change. So in case you missed it, uh, yeah, previously, if they is it limited on a unit, it's not a model, right? It's a unit. Then they get plus one for the rest of the phase to hit. Though that plus one's been now changed to rerolling ones, which is a mm-hmm. big deal when you're thinking that you went from. Yeah, usually you're hitting on fives, sometimes sixes, maybe fours if you have some grots floating around. And then there's a plenty of minus ones out there. You just didn't care. You know, I got plus one to hit. I'm just going to roll right through you. Mm-hmm. Now these re-rolling ones. That, on the other side, though, Quark's got a ton of dice. You're going to roll a lot of ones. Yeah, it's very much the... Because the, the straggler of super broken freebooter shooting was the Wasbomb Blaster Jet, because that one was piloted by a Big Mac, so it naturally hit on fours anyway. So with freebooters, you could get hit on threes. So now you suddenly have a strength nine, AP minus five, um, D3 plus three damage gun just flying around the table that got to hit on threes and not really care about negative modifiers. Um, So the concept of the reroll ones is you could potentially throw a, a melee freebooter army with a whole bunch of like mega knobs and stuff like that. So playing into the kind of the truck boy scenario where you run in, kill something and you've charged a whole bunch of things. So now all of your army is rerolling ones to hit in the fight phase. But at this point, I'm pretty sure I'm just going to play goffs for if I ever play them again, because I could go back to Necrons if I wanted to, because Silent King got core for some reason. (laughs) Yes, so now the big controversy, can you resurrect his little uh, uh, spawns and spears there? Um, I I know we chatted with Ray kind of offline a little bit. Um, My firm belief is that if we were to have the ability to raise the men here is for the silent king. It would have to be something like how Celestine, she has a specific action to heal herself and bring back a Gemini. If the unit is under starting strength. So if you're going to bring back the men here for the silent king, he is a vehicle. So you need to completely heal the vehicle first. And then you need to do an action to raise the men here because of the fact that you can get some really interesting things of, Oh, the Silent King is at 12 wounds. I raise a men here. You now have the 7th edition situation of that guy took a wound, this guy took a wound, and you spread wounds around the unit instead of allocating wounds to the same model. Ah, yes. That's just one of the golden things of 5th edition as well. Yeah, so it's definitely a... No, if they're... I don't want the men here is to be raisable because it makes a terrible balance thing because then at that point okay what's the point of his what's the point of his men here is soaking the wounds first and then him floating up and bonking you on the head but now he benefits from all of his own rerolls and whatnot because he's core so whoop de doodly do and Necrons are slowly becoming much more of a bigger threat all of a sudden. So it's just like, oh, okay. Let's just pay a little closer attention to what they do now. 
So, well, and plus the the Nephilim changes gave a lot of armies some playback. So, like Necrons, their their secondaries changed for the benefit. I haven't read them over enough to memorize what they are off the top of my head, but it definitely gives them some playability. They're not happening to live and die off of Purge the Vermin or anything else like that. Yeah, they seem to be... A lot of those secondaries definitely need a second read-through. There's a lot of them that are just like, oh, okay, that's... What used to be auto-take is may not be auto-take, but there's a couple that are pre... I wouldn't say they're auto-15s, but just ones you definitely need to have in your back pocket. So... Yeah, like um, the the sisters player that I end up playing a lot nowadays. She, the leap of faith secondary. That one is like almost a guaranteed twelve points in if you're busy using miracle dice a lot. Because like there's you have to use a certain number in a turn, and you get more points using it during your opponent's turn and stuff like that. And it's it is definitely a yeah, that secondary got a whole lot better. Hmm. I'll have to take a look at There's a couple sisters list we're going to be talking about later in the show. See if they uh, take advantage of that. But uh, other news, um, there's a couple uh, mischievous players who got a early look at a certain Primark, decided to put that on the internet. Games Workshop interceded and said, oh, did you want to see the grainy picture? Or did you want to see our pictures of Angron? That's right. We have a new Primark, our, thir- our third Primark now. Fourth round, excuse me. Uh, it's three for chaos, one for the Imperium, for keeping score at home. So, your thoughts on the uh, new Angron coming out? One, happy bloodthirster noises. <laughs> Two, I'm very angry because of the fact that I-, I promised myself that if the Angron, if the demon Angron model came out, I would get it and I would paint it and. With the way the 40k trend has continued for me, well, what's stopping me from building world eaters, I guess? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, for me, I'm a little sad, actually. Um, is he a cool model? Yes. Am I glad to see new Primark on the table? Yes. Do I care it's not Imperium? No. I hate the Imperium needs to burn. Um, but it's just the circumstances. I like enough with the leaks, enough with the... Uh, it, it just feels like it was mistimed. And then we'll get into some other rumors and leaks. It feels like it's not something like, oh, we, we, we leaked it a week before release date. I don't get the impression this was supposed to come out until after Christmas. And um, I just feel like, oh my gosh, now what? So... Mm-hmm. I feel I kind of feel bad about it, and um, it sounds like there's there's definitely some rumors going out now that the access with Games Workshop may get pulled back a little bit because of this constant uh, abuse of the you know le- leaking too much stuff out ahead of time. Yeah, it, that is definitely something. Like I know today, I saw some kind of. Facebook hint hint cough cough rumors of potentially playtesters have gotten their rights revoked. So like they're restricting it to a very small number of playtesters, maybe, maybe they're cutting playtesters altogether. There was no definition. It was just because people kind of show off 
things beforehand. And obviously we get the the one guy who probably works in the warehouse somewhere, grabs one, pops it open, takes pictures for it for quality assurance, and ends up spreading it on the internet like whoop de diddly do. Um but this is definitely a problem of if leaks continue as fast and as often as they are, Games Workshop is going to return to those dark ages of literally like, oh, hey, yeah, no, there's a release coming in a month, if, and we're not going to tell you about it. Yeah, if that. I mean, I'll still never forget um, my very first games date, and yeah, here we go, Uncle Eric going back in the Wayback Machine. Quickly, Shaman, back to the Wayback Machine. So I give you an idea how old this was. The original Necrod Codex was coming out. And with hindsight B20, it came out two weeks after Games Day. Do you think they had preview bottles of the Necron Codex? Literature, artwork, nothing. They wouldn't even acknowledge that there's a Codex coming. The only thing they sold were t-shirts with... uh, which we call it a uh, Nightbringer on it. That's all they had for Necrons. That mm. was so frustrating. And it's me with a marketing background, I'm going like, why would you do that? Why? What? The? You had the entire Baltimore Convention Hall filled with Games Workshop fans. Could you just put something together? You know, <laughs> so mm-hmm. it was very frustrating. So yeah, I do not want to go back to those days. Those were terrible. And um, and honestly, there's a lot already dumped out on the um, community page. There's quite a bit of news on a regular basis. And uh, so that's where I'm kind of like, do I do I really need the whole Tyranid Codex uploaded to Reddit? No, it was nice to see. But, you know, it kind of confirmed the last few bits. So, no, I hate to see that go. So. Yeah, I... Also, there is something to say, because I know my distrust of leaks and rumors and stuff like that did start with the leaks of the Custodes Codex. And it was just, no, I'm not going to trust any of these because this is an army I enjoy playing. If these leaks end up being wrong and I taught myself how to play with these things, I'm going to have to reteach myself how to play. And I'm going to be really upset that all of the wins that I may have gotten become invalidated right i sort of never forget i got a um wind of a it was a necron codex uh ahead of time none of it came true none of it um and it's funny because it's some of the stuff like for example the uh immortals you know they had the gauss weapon option and they had the uh, tesla uh, option supposedly the warriors were supposed to get a tesla option as well because it was a strength for tesla we're like oh this is gonna be awesome no, never came true. And even with the new Warriors kit that just came out for ninth edition, true. So I was like, oh, okay, whatever. So stuff like that. Yeah, it's. I, I could never imagine Warriors having a a Tesla weapon because of the fact that it just doesn't make any sense. the The gauze weaponry of the Necrons was is the basic troop weapon like there's not a whole bunch that they need to do anything else with right but i mean having extra tesla would be nice (laughs) right anyway to sound like a complete hypocrite we did see this rumor come out and then completely be invalidated today 
So, so uh, was it true? Was it not true? Who knows? But um, Games Workshop is known to make... Uh... Hey everyone, Eric from the Exterminatus Podcast to tell you about the Smite Club Open. That's right, coming up this September 10th and 11th at the Bellbank Park Fieldhouse in Mesa, Arizona. 128 players. We got six rounds, a ton of venues all around the particular area. To buy your tickets, you can get them at smiteclub40k.com backslash store. That's smiteclub40k.com backslash store. Tickets right now are $60, but if you wait uh, beyond August 10th, they do go back up to $70. So get your tickets now. If you've been to our Scorched Earth Open, expect even more from this particular event. Once again, Smite Club Open, September 10th and 11th. Hope to see you there. Changes on the fly on the release schedule. So uh, here we go. So supposedly the next codex was supposed to be Leagues of OTAN. We found out today, not true. It will be Chaos Demons. Mm-hmm. Uh, shortly after that will be the new kill team. And um, those who did not get up at the crack of dawn on Sunday, you didn't miss much. Uh, the kill team actually showed off the two new kill teams themselves. One's kind of neat. It's a, specifically an Imperial Guard boarding army. Which mm-hmm. a boarding team looks pretty cool. Uh, and then a followed by a crew team. But they didn't show us anything of the new terrain. It's supposed to be you're on a Space Hulk. So very much... Uh, uh, spaceship boarding actions all over again, and uh, but nothing was really shown other than the actual kill teams. So after that, you're supposed to get the guard codex, and then finally world eaters with Agron. So we already seen Agron, so maybe after Christmas sometime. And then it gets um, a little murky. Um, there's supposed to be some chapter supplements for the new Space Marines uh, coming out. And then by that point, we'll be uh, moving on to 10th edition. And uh, this seems like where they always take like an Imperium versus a Nemesis type character. And in this mm-hmm. case, it'll be uh, Blood Angels versus Tyranids. Now, in between there, they feel that there's something other is going to be a box similar to Spearhead, where you have multiple new models. And expect in there to see this will be timed with the new Space Marine Codex, a jump assault um, infantry unit that is Primaris as well as a true Primaris Terminator. And uh, but then another rumor says no, that's not true. They're going to pull those Terminators out and hold them off for tenth edition. Ah, yep. This is why I don't worry about any of that. It's fun, but it's, yeah. So anyway, what to expect in uh, that starter box. Uh, Blood Angels, you're supposed to get Sanguinar, and uh, he's supposed to be huge. Um, He's basically um, an avatar type thing rather than the actual Primarch himself. So the idea that he's coming back kind of like, I'll call him Raised from the Dead, but kind of that spirit uh, creature, kind of how the avatar works for the Eldar. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's got a new Death Company Chaplain, a new Furioso Redemptor, a new Sanguinary Guard, which I was like, ugh. Um, an upgrade sprue, and then supposedly a new Dante model. The new Dante one, having owned Blood Angels for, for a very short time. Uh, yeah, make that happen. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have a Chapter of, mess. Yeah. I have a bunch of Sanguinary Guard I need to get, get rid of fast, apparently. So... <laughs> 
I have no use for them. I was going to sell them, but originally I was going to paint them up to improve their resale value. Now I'm like, eh, get rid of them now. Yeah, just dump them because I know I had I had like maybe 20 Sanguinary Guard when I got rid of my Blood Angels, and it was like they were really derpy. They were small, squatty, not a not a whole lot there okay. to really work on. But thinking I'm biased because I'm I'm not a big fan of marine bodies unless they're world eater ones. Yeah. And mom. then they're angry. I have bunny ears. <laughs> I do like the idea that they're fast. And um, but uh, I, I, the whole angel imagery gets a little bit much for me. Now the Tyranid thing is bizarre for me. So first thing it says in the Tyranids box you get a macrofex. So is that basically a Carnifex mix match? I don't know what a macrofex is. Neither do I. I am honestly hoping that the the idea of a macro effects is they are not bringing back macro weaponry because that rule was dumb. That, that was dumb. Ooh, that was bad. Uh, also includes one um, old one eye, and he says he's macro effects size. So that's why I was thinking this is just a generic term for all card effects kind of getting lumped together. Uh, suppose we're getting a new Gene Stealer models, uh, new Harmagaunt models, and here comes another weird one. You're getting a new Hypergaunt Swarm model, and this is on a 105 millimeter base. Huh? That's um, yeah, no, that's interesting. Because the, I mean, Tyrannus have always been a Swarm army, so it's like, oh yeah, no, here's this Hypergaunt that's on a super big base, like, uh. Is it just another Turvagon? I think it might be a Ripper Swarm, but rather than moving three of those little things around, you've got this giant base, so now you, yeah, you still have the Swarm aspect, but you only have four or five models on the table as opposed to 20. Hmm. I I honestly am unsure how this feels, because the, the Blood Angels versus Tyranid box bit that bit I haven't heard before. So that's where I'm like, okay. Um, the, the problem is, is that Tyranids, they just got a new release with the parasite. Sure. They could use some updated smaller bugs, but introducing like a new blanket keyword for two different potential things. I, I'm honestly not a fan of it. So I think this is just people making a whole bunch of hearsay, trying to spook people. Yeah. So take it for what it is. Uh, that's what we say. Add a grain of salt. I'm eh, okay, whatever. But I thought it was this bizarre. Maybe I'm missing something. If you know that other Tyranid players are like, oh, they've been talking about that for years. And I just missed it. But uh, if not, you know, hey, hit us up on our Facebook page. Uh, back to more reality uh, thing. Uh, speaking of Leagues of Otan, did you see those new Hearthkin uh models with the big beefy armor those look awesome yeah the as i potential i think you know i talked to some other people i think but those i'm going to call them terminator dwarves because that's yeah. what they are i think they are yeah <laughs> um they they made me have a second opinion on whether or not i wanted to try out the army but then again it's a I have to I have to flip my coin. Do I go with Angron World Eaters because of my heresy stuff that I'm gonna have? Or do I get space dwarfs? 
so far I, I'm smack dab in the middle because Angron now exists. Yeah. I don't know. I was I was not a fan of the troop choices. I was like, eh, uh, just some, they're okay. They weren't great, but when I saw those things, I was like, okay, those look cool. So it's kind of hard knowing that your main troop model is not something you're interested in. But um, you know what? Even in a battalion, I, I got six elite slots. I'm ready to go. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, it would be... I, I just need to see more stuff from them first before I even consider thinking about picking up that army because they look like a really fun army to paint. I just don't want it to be a scenario of like how some like how sisters did when ninth edition dropped where they got their brand new eighth edition book and then ninth edition happened. Right. Yeah. I get that feeling that, um, again, back to the rumor thing is, is 10th edition. I think 10th edition is one of those things where it's coming around the bike. It's, it's not something it's, there's there's too many other changes happening that's like are consistent with an addition change and that's all like uh oh so um, we'll see what happens but it's usually in the summertime so that tells me we'll have the nephilim season we'll have the next season under ninth edition rules and then the season after that will be the first season under tenth edition. I mean, if tenth edition does actually become a thing because I'm I'm always skeptical at this point of upcoming rules changes i would want them to actually be clarifying as to what changes will be happening from 10th edition from 9th to 10th edition because from 8th to 9th there was no major changes outside of how detachments work how terrain can be um given specific rules so that way it actually works properly and we didn't play with just all ruins on the table. Like yeah. other terrain actually mattered. Um, I would just really hope that if 10th edition happens, it's just a clarification of 9th edition. So more of a 9.5 rather than an actual 10th edition. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll raise you on that one. So I, I did the incredible thing. I actually watched Warhammer Plus. <laughs> and I actually watched a battle report of a Horus Heresy game. And a Age uh-huh. of Sigmar game. And I noticed things that were very different from 40k. And I'd be curious to see if they port them over. We had talked about before in uh, Horus Heresy, they have reactions. Mm-hmm. They don't have stratagems in uh, Horus Heresy. So easily adding some of those reactions as additional stratagems similar to Overwatch. Like the idea is, oh, you're within 12 inches of me and you shot at me, I will shoot you back. Yeah, with um, having the actual heresy rulebook and reading through things and having watched some games myself, the the heresy definitely looks like a very interactive game because of the fact that there's a, well, I move this unit here. Does he do anything to react? Because that'll change on what I'm going to do. No, he didn't react. Okay, then my plan is going to be a little tougher because of the fact that X, Y, and Z but some of the special reactions for each army. Oh boy. Some armies like Imperial Imperial fists of all things and like space wolves and world eaters. Oh, you, you did this thing. Well, I'm going to charge you now. Wow. And you, cool. you charge. Yeah. You immediately charge your opponent 
in their turn. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's really cool. I mean, I think that'd be a lot more. Like I said increase the interactivity, and then you, and when the, the biggest feel bad right now, what they're still trying to fix is the whole alpha strike that we both spent all this time setting up the game, putting down our toys, and whoever got to go first blows enough holes into your opponent's army that they don't get to play with the toys. Now it's like, yeah, I get a chance to shoot back. That'd be that would great. Yeah, like my game against Mark Follows today. Um, I went first with my current Custodes list, which has a whole bunch of tools that are made to kill big stompy knights. Um, I killed a gallant on... I killed his really, really important gallant on my first turn. Because his knight couldn't hide, and I just did enough damage. And then from there, it was, all right, I'm going to kill your Crusader next. And then I'm going to kill your Paladin and an Armager. Congratulations, you now have three models left on the table after my third turn. Who realistically can come back from that kind of deficit when I still had my entire five-man unit of bikes? Yeah. Yeah, it's really hard at that point. And uh, so you can always argue, okay, then did your night opponent you know, do the pro- you know, properly set up, properly deployed, all that. Mark's been around the block enough times. I don't think he made too many glaring mistakes like that. So it's like, okay, uh, what can what can be different? Uh, was it a terrain issue? Then, but again, it goes back yeah. to we never talk. I still have yet to get anything official from GW. This is what the table should look like, other than one picture in the rule book. Like, oh come on, yeah. But it is one of those things that bringing up Tau because they're an incredibly strong shoot alpha shooting army. If Tau get to go first and you aren't aware of how to mitigate their shooting, you can very well be tabled in a single turn if you are not careful. And that should never be a viability because I know I watched one game happen in 8th edition right when I was starting. Some guy first turn deep striked 15 Terminators and boxed their opponent into the deployment zone. Like, no, that's not okay. (laughs) Right. Are you a gamer that has more bare plastic than you have time to paint? Do paintbrushes spontaneously combust when you hold them? If either of these is true, contact White Crow Studios and get your models painted by a college-trained professional painter. You can contact Bo at whitecrow.commissions at gmail.com and view his previously painted models at White Crow Studios on Facebook. Yeah, so we'll see those of them. And then when I saw in the AOS battle report, uh, I'm going to butcher this because I really don't didn't understand the rule and I'm going to have to do some research on it. But I guess at the start of your turn, if your general or warlord equivalent is still on the table, there are like six abilities that you can choose from, similar to stances, like um, uh, guard mm-hmm. have, or similar to space marine doctrines, and it becomes an army-wide thing. But every army has it, and I was like, "Huh, that would simplify like Necron protocols and and, and the like. That'd be kind of cool." Yeah. So as someone who does have the 2021 General's Handbook in their hand right now for Age of Sigmar, it's so the hero phase 
is essentially the command phase where you do all of your you do like a lot of buff stuff during that phase and that's when you pick the so like the heroic actions that they're able to do in the hero phase there's you yell and like your leader gets a command point for themselves to use um you can have him become basically a a wizard to try and dispel a a magic power or something like that. You can declare that it's their finest hour where they get plus one to their armor saves and plus one to wound. Hmm. And heroic recovery where you roll, you roll some dice, you roll some dice. If it's less than your leadership, then you get D three wounds back. But if you rolled over your leadership, you still regain one wound. So, but it's, you only get to really pick like one character to do it a turn. So it's the, the play there is very, very interesting because if you know that your opponent's going to come in and try to bomb your hero with something, you go, all right, cool. I'm going to give him a, like a two up or three up armor save, and it's going to completely just block out all of your AP then yeah, your hero can live for a turn and then you can swing back and potentially double turn your opponent. It's it's an interesting system to say the least with the little bit that I've used it in Ogres, but I just don't enjoy Sigmar enough right now to continue trying to adjust to that yeah. play style of things. Yeah, the rest of the game I have to say was still a bit of a turnoff for me. I'm not saying it's a bad game, it just wasn't something that appealed to me, but I thought that one instance, this, this command, thank you for bringing that up and no there was no editing there robert really did pull it up that fast so um that was pretty amazing so give you an idea there's some other ideas that that are out there just within games workshop so yeah i honestly do think that if they do 10th edition they'll end up copying the second edition of horus heresy more because having the allotted number of reactions per phase is much more um identifiable to 40k than it is with like some of the Sigmar mechanics because Sigmar is very much still fancy and it's not like you have super fast moving armies that are able to fly miles across the battlefield. No, most of them are rock are walking running. Whereas in 40k stuff can be a lot faster and a lot more devastating. So fast instant reactions are much more of a sci-fi thing kind of feel. Hey listeners, this is Raymond with the Extreme Honest Podcast here to talk to you about KR cases. If you're like me and you're constantly looking for that better way to store your armies, then look no further than KR cases. That's right, this is the foam company known for their soft blue foam in the cardboard cases. They're a great way to mix and match Whenever you're heading out for that next tournament, you can just swap out those boxes and no need to worry about switching the foam in and out. They're sturdy, the boxes help protect your models, and if you when you order, they come fast, the order is right, and for a better price than the other guy. So go to krcases.com and when you place your order, be sure to mention the Extreme Honest Podcast. 
Speaking of which, let's uh, head on over and take a look at some of our tournament action from this past weekend. So there were a couple big events, uh, but we're going to focus on the Bournemouth Brawl. And I don't know where Bournemouth is in England, but I do know there's a soccer team there. So I have seen them on TV. But um, the top five is uh, a who's who of some of the top players in the ITC currently. Uh, Robert, want to give us our top five? So in fifth place, we got James Shapiro with Adeptus Sororitas. In fourth place, we have Rob Mackey with Harlequins. We have David Gaylord with Tyranids. We have second place is Nassim Forshan. I'm hoping I said that name right. With Adeptus Astartes, so probably a successor chapter of some kind. And then the crazy man himself, Manny Chima, with Sisters. Yeah, so two Sisters player in the top five. And uh, just right outside the uh, top five there, Vic Vijay coming in sixth. And uh, Stephen Box coming in tenth. So some big names at this particular event. Well, let's take a look at that winning list. Uh, as mentioned, Sisters, two of them in the top five. Yep, so Manny's list um is bloody rose and he ended up starting with something like yeah two command points after everything is said and done so he has a repentia superior a canoness um he brought celestine and he brought morvin vol and morvin is the actual lord warlord because supreme commander stuff um two minimum units of battle sisters and then the Sisters Novitiate squad, so the, the kill team box ones that are actually like melee sisters, so the equivalent of assault intercessors. Is that what they are? I thought they were scout sisters, basically. Well, it's when I talked to my our friend Tim, he was like, Yeah, no, the novitiates get so many attacks in melee because they're the punchy versions of the sisters instead of shooty. Interesting. Okay. Um then to continue down to the elite slots has a unit of five sacrosaints, so the bodyguard sisters, a unit of three crusaders, some little menace storm guy with like a power sword and a shield. Not not a whole lot going on there. Um, he also has a dogmata, so the priest, and then one, two, three units of seven repentia. That's a lot of repentia. That's a lot of repentia. Still small. And then the rhino though. Yep. And then one, two, three units of Zephyrim, so the melee flying sisters. One of them is only a seven man, and the other two are eight man. Well, eight girls. And to round off the list, it is two units of retributors. Both of them are five bodies strong, and that's a whole bunch of multi meltas. Mm-hmm. And then a rhino. Mm-hmm. Mm, mm, mm. A little bit of everything there. It's a pretty nice list. Yep, it is very much I have a whole bunch of bodies. You can't chew through enough of me to really do anything about it. So the the thing that does get me is a rhino in 40k can currently only carry 10 models, right? Correct. So at most, you could fit one unit of Repentia the Canoness, the Dogmata, and the Repentia Superior all into a single Rhino. Where do the other Repentia go? Maybe strategic That's my reserve. Question. They are... You can strategic reserve them, but each of those units is six power level, though. So, and Manny only starts with two CP, so he would have to spend those two CP to reserve um those other two units of repentia 
And then obviously the Zephyrim can deep strike themselves. Right. I don't know. It's a good question. Um, being that there's six six bottles, it's a fairly hideable unit. But um, I don't know. That's a good question. If that's what the plan is, that's bizarre. But I mean, I know beforehand it used to be like you'd bring two units of eight and shove them both in rhinos. Obviously, he likes redundancy and rolling a whole bunch of dice. Yeah. Well, he's always been on that. And it's not as spammy as some of his other lists have been. You know, there's a fair amount of variety here. So compared to, like, say, his 120 rack list. So I think it's only because of the fact that he's not allowed to bring 117 Repentia. Just throwing out a number. (laughs) (laughs) So the other sisters list was James Shapiro. And he also brought Bloody Rose, along with a Repentia Superior, a Canoness, Celestine, Vol. It feels like I'm rereading Manny Chima's list. But no, uh, he has 15 regular Battle Sisters, um, two units of Sacrosaints. One of them is just five girls strong, and the other one is seven girls strong. Then two Dogmatas. <laughs> ooh, ooh, man, this, this boy's mad. He's crazy. And then the two units of eight Repentia, one unit of Seraphim with a couple of hand flamers in there for deadly descent stuff, a brick of nine Zephyrim, a brick, a small unit of six, and then the two retributor squads, all with Meltas and a single Rhino. Hmm. So I'm starting to see a uh, little consistency here with what <laughs> Sisters lists are starting to look like. Well, I mean, retributors are backbone of most lists, as far as I can tell, because who doesn't love having a whole bunch of multi-mothers? Yeah. They have been for a while, so that's it's pretty pretty cool to see them. Yeah. And are rhinos open-topped? No. Okay. <laughs> I was about to say, if rhinos were open-topped, oh man, you just shove both units of of Richard readers and that rhino and just goes scoot scoot bang well actually before I shouldn't said that as loud they used to be actually in fifth edition uh they had they had these um rules called fire points and rhinos used to have what are called two fire points it means two models from who are inside the rhino could shoot as opposed to like mm-hmm. a Drakari raider where everybody could shoot or an orc truck or tr- yes orc trucks were open topped as well Scorcha boys. Yeah. Anyway, so I do actually want to look at this Nassim um, Foshan's list because for you. yep, yep. Iron Hand successor, Master Artisans, and World of Winter of Rage. Ooh, buddy. So this is actually a list that at an RTT over a few weekends ago. I think I actually played against this exact list. It is... Yep. Yep. I I definitely did. Because, yep, Primaris Lieutenant, Tech Marine. Um, the only difference was is he didn't have... He had Eliminators in his list. I think he had to drop one Devastator Squad to fit the two units of Eliminators with the Bolt Carbines so they could shoot and scoot and whatnot. But yeah, no. Nope. Redemptor Dreadnoughts, the Relic with Volkite, 
10 Vanguard vets. Yeah, that's the exact list that I played against and lost to. I mean, every turn I pop, every turn I popped a Redemptor Dreadnought in shooting mathematically. So it was a, if I had went first, I could have hid better, but no, I didn't go first and I redeployed badly. So. Interesting. Yeah, I was curious how that list, because the first thing I look at that list is like, it's durable, but it's slow. So it's basically a push forward and keep you out of board center. Is that how that works? It actually follow from, from playing against it and just realizing what it does. It wins out by one abusing armor of contempt on really durable bodies because yay, dreadnoughts. Um, the other thing is it does have really efficient firepower because from that tech Marine, you can get one redemptor dreadnought to like hit on twos and reroll ones or something like that. Along with the master artisans reroll, like you can get a whole bunch of things added on to most likely the contemptor dreadnought. But yeah, it's it's just it's trying to be admech is the easiest way that I can explain it because it's trying to brute force math. Interesting. Okay. Next one. Looking at that list because it, it seems like um, you're looking at all those redemptors that they're not the, the fastest guys. They're definitely more of a shooting army. So I'm like, okay, do I can I get up there and tag them, re- reduce their firepower without losing a whole lot of stuff? I noticed he had a lot of assault intercessors in his troop slots. Those are probably just to protect them from that. So I'm like, hmm. yeah, assault intercessors are just there as tax troop choices. They're they're there to hold buttons. That's about it. And then the land speeders are quick, zippy little multi melter shots. Like no, no big deal. Okay. Well, fair enough. So, yeah, one other quick note there. Uh, Manny uh, and Vic, uh, excuse me, Manny and uh, David Gaylord uh, played each other in round six. And uh, so, top players, they're going at each other. It was an interesting game. Uh, final score there, if I can read this quickly 48 to 34. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what happened there because actually, like it's, David's list um, <laughs> is Leviathan. Shock. <laughs> and it is a... This is new. It's a Broodlord. I have not seen Broodlord in a Leviathan list, like, ever. But then again, he is probably one of the cheapest HQs that they have outside of the Neurothrope, which he does also have. He also has a Flying Hive Tire that is loaded to the teeth, and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Why is this man running 18 Tyranid Warriors? Actually, 21. I say he's not. He's running 21. <laughs> he has a unit of three to go with him. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> and then a single Lictor, Tyrant Guard, a couple of Venom Thropes for the minus one, Zone Thropes, and a couple of Harpies. So I can actually kind of understand how they got really low scoring because if you got into contact with those nine man Tyranid warrior bricks and you're only wounding them on fours and they don't hit back very hard. Cause they just have death spitters and dual bone swords, like no shooting anywhere. Right. Uh, yeah, no, you'll be stuck in combat for a good few turns. And then you use all your other shooting to 
to kill off things like the winged hive tyrant and whatnot. That's probably what he ended up doing with like the retributors. He got really lucky and picked off the maybe a harpy and the winged hive tyrant in the first turn. Yeah, I look at the I'm trying to tech into that list because there's a couple players that are are running that, and that's with the Leviathan transhuman ability. It's almost like why bother spending all the extra upgrades to get your you know get your attacks up to to strength five when you know you're still wounding on fours with any with everything anyway. So it's almost like all right, my big guns will take care of the big stuff. I might as well just go after you with you know the kind of bare minimum and try and force as many uh roles as possible you know same thing with damage reduction as well yeah because that logic was actually we did we actually glazed over it but the hail of doom eldar list actually got nerfed pretty hard because now when you take hail of doom you can only take hail of doom we did glaze over that. I apologize. And not in a good way with the new contrast baits that came out this week. Oh, like how I did that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was a big change. So it was, it's uh, all consuming, you know, for those of you who remember that from the Drakari Codex. Yeah, it's you don't get two choices from the far flung craft worlds. You only get one if you choose that. I'm like, oh, that's a bit of a change. Yeah. So it is is a change for the better. Because having people run 30 Dire Avengers and roll easily 200 plus shots every turn, nah. I'm good, man. I'm good. So, the but congrats to Manny for coming out of nowhere. Well, not coming out of nowhere with Sisters. The man's crazy and plays whatever army he feels like. And yeah, no. It's definitely showing that Sisters probably came out on top for Nephilim changes with how their secondaries and stuff work. Because aside from the one random score with David Gaylord, his lowest score was that of an 82. Which I thought rather surprising, because that was something we were hearing a lot of talk of. These new Nephilim missions are harder to score, expects you know, everything to drop down to the... Like, getting like seventies and eighties would be more appropriate than the typical nineties. Mm-hmm. So I think we did have one more event that was kind of on the docket, but it ended up not happening from what it looks like. Yeah. So it was a team event. We usually don't cover team events, but this coming weekend there there's a team event and Robert, what, what event would that be? Well, it's Joel hammer third times a charm and it's a, uh, it is very much a team event of who's who because there's Sean Naden, there's TJ Lanigan, um, Alex Fennel, Trevor Harris, Dan Woods, Anthony Vanilla, Kurt Klaus. It's three teams of four dudes. And yeah, no, I'm not exactly sure what's going on with this event. Like it's to me, it sounds like it's an ATC practice event. So they split up the teams, uh, get as many matchups uh, as they could. And they probably didn't score it because it wasn't going to get their ITC points. They also didn't want to tip their hand in terms of what they're playing this coming weekend. So, but it's nice to see there's some names we've not seen at all during the Nahmun season. So maybe they're finally coming out of hibernation and, and making an appearance in Nephilim. Maybe. Because, I mean, Nephilim is definitely... It- because of the handful of games that I've been able to play, 
it does definitely feel like a more <laughs> this is going to sound really funny a more balanced GT book because some people don't get to spend like 7 billion command points and they actually have to think about their stratums, stratums more often than once yeah and it's definitely and then those stratagems that are 2 and 3 points oh <laughs> those are kind of slowly becoming once per game yeah, they are. So, anyway, so as we mentioned, uh, some of the big names were at the Bournemouth Bash, and how did that affect the ITC top ten? Well, let's go over that right now. So, in tenth place, Ben Cherwin, who was uh, the winner of the Show Me Showdown this past weekend, uh, leaps into the tenth spot with one thousand two hundred twenty-six points. Uh, Stephen Crawley, uh, when we talked about him last week, but his scores being wonky, they are fixed, and he is deservedly in the ninth spot. Eighth place, Anthony Burt. Song, seventh place, Brenton Weiss. He also won a major tournament this past weekend. Uh, Matt Robertson coming in sixth. Uh, Thomas Ogden in fifth. Ennis Wilson climbs back up to fourth place. Uh, David Gaylard, who we mentioned, uh, did well in this past event with his Tyranids. Uh, coming in third now, Manny Chima uh, in second. And Vic Vijay was able to hold on to the top spot here with 1,344 points, and uh, despite having only a sixth place finish at Bournemouth. So hang it in there, and uh, I have updated all the uh, stats that we normally cover, T-Whip and wins, losses. We'll post that on our Facebook page later this week. Not a lot of big changes, as there weren't as many events this particular weekend. So as we mentioned, ATC weekend, that's going to be uh, a large event for a lot of people. Uh, be really interesting to see, because uh, our first look at Nephilim, but also with the team format being a little bit different, where you can pick your pairings. Uh, any predictions of what you think we'll see this weekend? Um, I'll ho- we'll see a whole bunch of skew lists come out of the woodwork with how team events work. Like, hey, I have three Bane Blades. What? Interesting. Why do you have three? Uh, I, it's just the thought that I have of how team events work, where, for instance, like if you bring someone that has a Knight's Army, Knight's is sometimes a really good and sometimes a really bad, really bad matchup for people. So you go, well, we don't have any good stuff to throw it here. Let's throw knights and something else at it. Right. So that way we save our good stuff. Like that's the kind of idea that I have behind it. Also, I know team events are where a whole bunch of people go for the camaraderie and just have a good old time. And I wish I could go, but I don't have the availability for it. Yeah. I'm in the same boat as well. So hopefully, um, in future events to come. And uh, if you heard our commercials earlier during the show, we do have some events uh, coming up, including the Smite Club Open. And the tickets are available. Just listen back to that commercial there and uh, find out that our tickets are still available. We've got a robust uh, sales already. We're almost at th- uh, 30 players with still two months to go. So uh, plenty of room for this particular event. But we look forward to seeing you guys there. Robert, any parting thoughts before we round out the show? Nope, not today, because I'm going to be shoving my head into my paint booth and working on stuff. That's right. Got some last-minute stuff for ATC. We'll be back next week with all the wrap-up from the ATC. In the meantime, my name's Eric. I'm Robert. And thank you for listening to the Exterminatus Podcast. <laughs>